0: There's not a human being on the planet who doesn't experience challenges in their life. And yet, we find that some people really get bogged down by the difficulties and the vicissitudes of life. And others are able to rise above and breeze through the most difficult of days. What makes one person different from another? Welcome to the Transformative Daft. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today, we are on Daft Vav, page six of Tractate Subus. And we learn that it's all in the eye of the beholder. Sometimes it comes down to perspective, how we view things, whether we're able to see the good even in the most trying of circumstances. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Chavrissa today. I like to begin with a story. The children of Israel are about to enter the promised land and the inhabitants of the surrounding territories are terrified. They have heard about the miraculous Exodus and Hashem's guidance of our people through the perilous wilderness, and they realize that Israel is a spiritual force with which to be reckoned. King Balak decides he must fight fire with fire and turns to the sorcerer Bilam to summon the forces of the dark side. But no matter how hard Bilam tried to curse the children of Israel, all that would issue forth from his mouth was blessing. His blessings were so powerful that one of them would become the iconic prayer that we recite upon entering shul every morning. How goodly are your tents, so Yaakov, your dwelling place is Israel. Our sages contrast Bilam's behavior with the righteousness of Avraham. Whoever possesses these three things, we learn in Pirkei Avot, he is of the disciples of Avraham Avinu, and he who possesses the three other things is of the disciples of Bilam the wicked. A good eye, a humble spirit, and a controlled passion, he is of the disciples of Avraham Avedo. An evil eye, a haughty spirit, and uncontrolled passion, he is of the disciples of Bilam the wicked. Prior to offering his iconic blessing, Bilam declares the word of a man with an open eye who sees God's vision lying down with open eyes. And throughout his pronouncements, Bilaam makes constant reference to his eyes. While Bilam's words heaped praise upon our forefathers, it's clear that his eyes had other intentions. What do our sages mean when they contrast Avraham's good eye with Bilam's evil one? Let's look at today's gemara. Rev Yosef queried, a groom is exempt from reciting Shema on the first night of his marriage until Saturday night if he has not yet completed his activity. And is one exempt due to preoccupation? If that is so... Would one whose ship sunk at sea also be exempt? And if you would say, in fact, that is so, didn't Rabbi Abba Barazavda quote Rav, a mourner is obligated in all the mitzvahs in the Torah, except for the mitzvah to don tefillin, as they are called Splendor, Pierre? Says the Mishnah Burur, tefillin are called Splendor in the verse, and a mourner is wallowing in ashes, afer, and it is not proper to place Splendor, Pe'er, in place of ashes, afer. Let's examine the Gemara. Many of our mourning rites are derived from the instructions that Hashem gave to the Prophet Yechezkel when he was in mourning. The base of Mikdash was about to be destroyed and his personal situation would serve as a symbol of the impending doom. In order to demonstrate to the Jewish people that they would soon be in such a chaotic state that they would be unable to mourn, God informed Yechezkel that he should not engage in the regular shiva practices. From what Yechezga was told not to do, we derive what we must do during shiva. For example, God declares, Observe no mourning for the dead, don your splendor and place your sandals on your feet, which refers to wearing tefillin and shoes. And so on the day of the funeral, a mourner does not put on tefillin. The Mishnah Brewers suggest that the prohibition of wearing tefillin is not simply due Judy Cheskel's mitzvah to don them, but there's also something about the word used for tefillin that implies that wearing them would be antithetical to the state of mourning. Pe'er and afer share the same three letters, Pe, Aleph, Reish, and the two are therefore unable to coexist. This association between ashes and tefillin is also recalled by many bridegrooms under the chuppah, While we're all familiar with the breaking of the glass in memory of our holy temple lying in ruins, there's also a custom to place ashes on the head of the chasen on the spot where he places his tefillin. The underlying reason for connecting these two words is the way the universe was created. Perikiavus teaches, with ten declarations the world was created. The Gemara explains that this refers to the nine times God declares, let there be. When God announces that there should be light, there is light. Add to that the original creation of heaven and earth in the very first verse, and we have ten declarations. But how was the world, with all its minutiae of creation, fashioned out of those ten statements? God took all those Hebrew letters and subjected them to a process of permutation and combination in order to create every last detail of the universe. Consequently, Hebrew is qualitatively different from any other language. In English, if I point to an object growing from the ground and call it a tree, the word is arbitrary. But in Hebrew, the word eighths is not just a name, it's the very essence of the object. That's why the same word is used for wood even once it's detached from the ground. The name consists of two letters, ayin and sadi. And ayin plus sadi equals tree or wood. When those two spiritual letters combine, they result in the creation of a tree. Now it's clear why Pe'er and Afer are connected. If they share the same letters, they come from the same source. They're the same word in different permutations. Or to put it colloquially, they're two sides of the same coin. The most extreme example of this ability for words to mutate are the two words oneg, meaning pleasure, and nega, meaning affliction. The Sefi Yitzira writes, there is no higher good than oneg, And there is no lower bad than nega. How do you transform affliction into pleasure? Listen to the following extraordinary teaching about the purification of contaminated garments. The Torah states the Kohen shall look after the affliction has been washed. And behold, the affliction has not transformed how it looks. hanega lo hafach es eno. The Chiddush Harim comments that the only thing holding back the purification of the nega, the affliction, is the transformation of aino its ayin. In the verse, the word refers to how the blemish looks, and it's the same as the Hebrew word for eye. Homiletically, however, all it takes is to move the ayin from the end of the word to the beginning. Suddenly, the word transforms from nega to oneg, the ayin of nega becomes the first letter of Oneg. In other words, if we simply adjust our eye in the way we look at things in this world, we can transform the worst of situations into moments of joy and renewal. That's why we acknowledge the Afer under the chuppah, whether that occurs with actual ashes or the symbolic breaking of the glass. We acknowledge that this moment of intense joy has an equal and opposing force of negative energy. Undoubtedly, the young couple will experience challenges in their life, but with the right attitude and the commitment to their spiritual partnership, they'll be able to face even the greatest challenges and transform them into blessing. That's the meaning of Bilam's evil eye and the fine line between his curses and blessings. Both emanate from the same source. Ordinarily, the wicked sorcerer knew the formula of how to manufacture those Hebrew letters to bring suffering into the world. But on that particular occasion, he found himself powerless to draw down the negative energy from the words. All that came forth were the blessings found within the words. When you realize that all afflictions at their innermost core consist of the same elements as the highest form of pleasure, they become endurable. Right now, you might not see the pleasure, but in the blink of an eye, Hashem can transform that pain into joy. Hope and faith notwithstanding, you can't just take a backseat and wait for Hashem to miraculously turn things around. Even when the circumstances are bleak, you have the power to decide how you will view the conditions. It's your choice whether to place your eye in at the head of the situation or at the tail. The smallest attitudinal decision can make all the difference to how you cope. It's not always possible to transform a situation. Some circumstances are beyond our control to change but your perspective and how you respond is always in your hands and in your eyes. May the eyes have it, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the transformative duff podcast with rabbi daniel friedman whether you've been doing Daf yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Daf yomi global movement there's something in the transformative duff for everyone it's about joining the conversation it's about talking over the duff with your family your friends your colleagues it means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful diva Torah. every page of the gemara every word every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose, transform your life today. The transformative daf is published by Mosaic Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you. The transformative daf. Yeah. yeah.